Hi, and welcome to a tardy, at least by my own standards, episode 47 of 5 Minutes of Rum. Notes on rum, a few minutes at a time. My name is Kevin Upthegrove. Today's episode features Caña Brava, a silver Spanish-style rum from Panama. I'll also talk about the Trader Vic's restaurant chain popularizing communal or bowl, or bowl drinks, and then make two recipes with the Caña Brava, a scorpion bowl and the bitter sting. So jumping right into the Caña Brava, uh, figuratively anyway, this is a silver ron or Spanish style rum. Uh, and as such, I'm expecting the usual characteristics of this style of rum, a crisp, a medium to light body, uh, clean, maybe a little bit of warmth, but not a direct burn and, and certainly no harshness. Any quote unquote extras like vanilla or baking spices should be, at least in my opinion, kept minimal and subtle. So we're going to taste this first and then get to the information on the rum second. So I have my uh, sampler here and we'll start with appearance. Uh, the appearance of the Kanye Brava is what you would expect from a silver rum and it would be alarmed if it were otherwise. It's clear in the glass and clear in the bottle. Um, and it catches maybe the faintest hint of yellow or uh, yellow warmth, uh, kind of the warmth of the light, depending on what type of light you hold it next to. Uh, if you swirl it in the glass, it's going to form a, a tight razor thin line up on the side of the glass when swirled. And then that eventually gives way to droplets that run straight down the sides of the glass. Aroma. Uh, it smells uh, from the glass very clean, a very mild astringency with just maybe the smallest hint for me of a little bit of citrus peel. It's not terribly assertive, nor is it very sweet. Um, in terms of taste, let me grab a little here. Um, again, use that word crisp um, and a, a little bit of warmth right when you uh, when you taste it, a little bit of warmth on your tongue, a little bit in the throat. Uh, very little sugar. This is a good thing. And and definitely devoid of that baking spice that I was referring to earlier. So I wholeheartedly agree with that being absent. And unfortunately, sometimes rums of this style uh, maybe compensate a little too much with the vanilla or other kind of baking spices, not really to my taste. Uh, luckily, that is nowhere really to be found in any great quantities in this rum. Um, there's actually not a lot of notes to it that I pick up. There's a little bit of pepper, which accounts for some of the heat. And again, the slightest hint, uh, hint of citrus at the very, very end of the sip. Uh, Finish-wise, I found I find the finish to be relatively quick. Uh, it doesn't linger too long, doesn't hang out. No burn, just kind of a smooth, quick finish. Uh, I find it actually hangs a little bit more on the tongue than in the throat, as opposed to a rum that's been aged a little bit longer or has a little bit more bar barrel characteristics to it. Those tend to linger a little bit more in your throat. Um, to sum up this rum, this is um, a very well-executed, Spanish style, Cuban style rum. Um, not exactly a sipping rum, not because it's bad, but I don't think that's really what its strong suit is. Uh, it seems like the type of rum that would be perfect for mixing, though I would try and be careful not to bury it. So it's not going to punch its way to the front. Um, and if you put it into a multi-rum ingredient and a multi-flavor, like if you're going to put it in something like a rum barrel, you're going to kind of lose this rum. You want to put it in something that's going to feature it. So in, in that case, you're going to immediately think of uh, a daiquiri. Uh, and so that is where I moved on to with this rum next. So uh, a couple weeks ago, I conducted a cocktail class for a small group, a small private party. And the topic was how to make a classic daiquiri at home. Uh, the entire class got to participate in the shaking and pouring. And we used Kanye Brava as the rum of choice. And it does make a very, very fine daiquiri. Um, I don't know if it trumps my beloved plantation three stars, uh, but I put it right up there with it. It's definitely something that I would reach for either one or the other and know that I'm going to get a very, very good daiquiri with it. Uh, remember that the style of rum is generally the rhythm guitar of a cocktail. The silver Puerto Rican rum is not usually going to take lead. 
uh, but it can take the lead if you use it in something like a daiquiri. That's where it's really going to shine. So getting into the rum itself and a little bit of the history and production of it, uh, this rum is brought to market by the 86 company. Uh, there's a link to them in the show notes. And I first knew of the uh, 86 company because I found, first found their gin, which is called Ford's Gin. Uh, I saw that in a couple bars, uh, made a very good martini. So we bought a bottle of that for the house. And then I became aware that they were also the same company that made Kanye Brava. Um, it actually became pretty apparent because their bottles are very well identical except for the label and the contents. But the bottle shape, which is somewhat distinctive, was shared between the two. And that was obviously too much of a coincidence for it to be an accident. Um, too much coincidence? I don't know. Well, let's not dissect that. Anyways, uh, the 86 company will tell you right up front that they're making a line of spirits that are for mixing. And they come in very, like I said, similar, smart looking and functional bottles that the company says are designed with bartenders in mind. Um, I do find the bottles pleasant to hold and pour from, and but seeing as how I'm usually pouring for a very short amount of time compared to a working bartender, I'm going to go ahead and defer an opinion on whether the bottle shape is truly a benefit. I just think it looks nice. Uh, the inside of the label also has some very nice design elements to it, and that is actually visible through the back of the bottle because, again, this is a clear spirit just like the Ford's Gen is. Um, the 86 company partners with distillers to package and market their line of spirits. They're not the actual distillery. The actual distillery or distiller for Kanye Brava is located in Panama. Uh, the sugar cane used um, that produces the molasses that's used in Kanye Brava is grown locally in Panama, so it's not created from shipped-in molasses for what that's worth. Uh, this, the distillery itself is called Las Cabras. Cabra in Spanish is goat, uh, just so you know. I don't know what significance that has, but there you go. The distillery is the goats. It was founded in 1919. Uh, flash forward, we're going to pass through a lot of history to the mid-90s. You know, I remember the 90s. And the warehouse and the copper still were discovered on that site by somebody by the name of Don Poncho and somebody else by the name of Carlos Esquivel. Now, if the name Don Poncho rings a bell, it's probably because he made a name for himself as a distiller of rum in Cuba, practicing distillery there for about 35 years. He moved to Panama again in the mid-90s and put his skills to use at this uh Las Cabras Distillery. Like many distillers, he has a science background with a degree in biochemistry. Um, I'll also note that the name Don Poncho appears in quotes all over the Kanye Brava site. His given name is actually Francisco J. Fernandez. Now, Kanye Brava is produced, like I said, from the local raw sugar cane molasses, um, and that's mixed with water and a pineapple yeast. It's distilled in a column still using five continuous stills. The four, uh, first four are copper, and the fifth is a combination of copper and brass. Uh, it comes off the still at about 92 to 94 alcohol by volume. That's, that's pretty hot. Uh, it's then cut to 75% alcohol by volume and aged in new American oak for 18 to 24 months. So if we go back to the continuous stills for a moment, remember when you're working with a, a continuous still or a column still as opposed to a pot still, the more that you refine it, the more that you still the product, you're going to get closer and closer. You're going to remove more and more impurities. Um, the congeners that make up some of the body and funkiness of like a pot stilled rum get something a little bit cleaner. So the trick is you don't want it to go so clean that you actually don't end up with the good stuff that you want in the rum. So like I said, the, the rum comes off the still at 92 to 94% alcohol by volume. It's cut with water, uh, distilled water to 75% alcohol by, by volume, and then aged in new American oak barrels for 18 to 24 months. At that point, it's removed. It's distilled and cut again. Now this time down to 49% alcohol by volume and then aged another one to two years in used American whiskey barrels. All told, it's aged about three years and it's filtered. Um, it's blended with other rums, older rums, to achieve consistency from batch to batch. 
And the final alcohol by volume is 43, so you end up with an 86 proof rum. Uh, the filtration is standard filtration elements where it's used to remove color and used to remove some of the heavier barrel notes that you don't want in the finished uh, rum of this type. Uh, where to find Cana Brava? Distribution of this rum, at least at the time that I'm recording this, isn't too wide, uh, so you may need to turn to online ordering if you want to pick uh, pick some up. Locally for me in Southern California, k keeps it in stock, although they've uh, recently moved from a 1-liter bottle to a 750-milliliter bottle. I do also have one other local retailer that sells it, um, as well as Ford's Gin. So lo- for you locally, you may want to check your smaller specialty stores, ask them to order it if ordering online isn't an option for you. Um, again, state liquor laws vary, um, you know, from, well, state to state, uh, and they're hard to keep straight. So you'll know what's allowed in your neck of the woods, uh, but do see if you can get yourself a bottle because this is a really good, uh, very good uh, silver rum, especially at the price. I think the price ends up being around $20 for the 750 milliliter. So uh, it's not priced too extravagantly and it's a very good rum. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about communal or bowl drinks, which are an element of classic tropical or tiki cocktails. Um, I don't think I've covered that yet on the show. In fact, I know I haven't, but it is kind of a fun uh, drink experience uh, and one that you get to share with your fellow diners or fellow imbibers, uh, depending on where you are. Now, Trader Vic Bergeron popularized the communal drink that was served in his restaurants beginning in the 1950s. Uh, these are drinks that are that serve about two to four people um, at a table and amounted basically to a scaled-down punch recipe. Uh, they were and are a very cool presentation to bring to the table, and people are excited to share in the quote-unquote bowl experience uh, that comes complete with long straws, fresh flower garnishes, and in some cases, it's actually lit on fire. Um, I have long associated the communal or bowl drink with Trader Vic's. That's where I first encountered it. And that's not to say that no one else uh, was ever serving them. They may have been, but I, I do feel that Trader Vic's popularized it. Now, if you read the intro to... Um, the Trader Vic's Tiki Party uh, chapter called Bowls, Kegs, and Big Ones. Um, and again, the link to the Trader Vic's Tiki Party uh, book will be in the show notes if you haven't seen that yet. The author of that book will indicate that this style of shared drink was a South Seas tradition and part of uh, Vic's quote from the beginning, end quote. Um, and true enough, there is a tradition of the kava drink in many Pacific Ocean Island cultures, including Fiji, Hawaii, and Polynesia. However, it's the communal portion that Vic is borrowing from, not the actual kava drink. Uh, kava is a tra- the traditional kava drink uh, means that the, well, let me see. In a traditional kava drink, the root of the kava plant itself was cut into pieces and chewed by many different people, different pieces with different people. And then that's all the, uh, the root was cast aside and the uh, remnants were spat into a bowl and mixed with coconut milk. So please, in the tiki version of a bowl drink, do not backwash. Uh, what Vic, again, was adopting was the ceremony of the communal bowl, which was a big part of the experience for the for these Polynesian cultures, um, where you're experiencing the same thing for many people in your party. Um, as an example of Trader Vic's concoctions, like the Scorpion Bowl being a scaled-down punch, there are a large number of punch recipes in the copy of the, uh, the Trader Vic's 1948 Bartender's Guidebook. Uh, this is a reprint of an earlier edition, and there's a ton of recipes, period, in that book. I don't expect I'll ever get to them all. In fact, I don't think that math works out. But one of the punches is a precursor to what would eventually become the Scorpion Bowl. In the book, and there's a picture of this in the show notes, it's called the Scorpion Punch. It's all of the same ingredients that are in the Scorpion Bowl, plus a touch of gin. Uh, but in the quantities in the book, it results in 12 servings. So that's that's great if you're throwing a party, um, but not as practical if you're just having dinner with two to four people out at a, you know, at a Trader Vic's dining establishment. 
So it's scaled down to a more appropriate two to four person serving, the Scorpion Bowl itself. Uh, Vicks Bowl drinks were often garnished with fresh flowers, but there is one sort of garnish that always gets folks riled up. Um, and I don't think that this is really appropriate for the Scorpion Bowl, but we're going to talk about it here because you can't really talk about communal or bowl drinks without talking about fire. Um, fire is the, the really the showpiece. Uh, if you think to, uh, in the fifties, uh, mid-century dining, when people would, would bring, and you do, um, oh, I'm, I'm blanking on the name, but there were dishes that would be prepared table side with fire. Um, this is the, the cocktail equivalent of that. So, um, there are a couple of things about fire. First of all, be careful. Don't really do the, the, uh, fire garnish unless you have a fire extinguisher on hand. Um, and always watch what you're doing. Alcohol burns. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, it burns and can qu create quite a bit of damage. So there's my my disclaimer. Be careful with fire. Um, now, a lot of people will um, essentially, they'll take some Bacardi 151, pour that into uh, like a hollowed out lime shell, and then they'll light that on fire. And you do get fire out of that. Obviously, 151 proof alcohol is going to burn. Uh, what you get is a, a sort of a longer running flame, but it burns blue. It burns and burns a relatively short. Um, the trick to getting a good amount of fire is to actually reach for something that's even less expensive than McCarty 151, and that's lemon extract. Uh, lemon extract is an alcohol-based flavorant uh, slash extract. It runs about 160 proof. You can get it uh, very inexpensively at a place like Smart and Final or other places that sell things like this in, in larger quantity. And essentially, it's going to burn with a much brighter orange and yellow flame and give you a little bit more what you're looking for when you're trying to, you know, impress your guests with um, a fire garnish, essentially. Now, the other thing, uh, while it does work to fill an empty lime shell, like if you squeeze out fresh lime juice and you have an empty lime shell, like an empty lime half, you can pour the lemon extract into that and you can light it. However, um, and this is a tip that I picked up uh, by way of uh, multiple sources. I, I actually picked this up by way of um, uh, Martin Kate, owner of uh, Smuggler's Cove. And um, he actually, I believe, picked it up because this was practiced at the uh, former Bahuka restaurant out in Rosemead, California. But uh, it was lemon extract used on a crouton, essentially a big piece of dried out bread, um, which can you soak it in the lemon extract for, you know, 15, 20 seconds, maybe even a little bit longer. You just get it soaked in that extract, put it uh, in the center of the bowl, or you put it on top of like a big piece of ice that you're floating in the middle of your bowl drink, light that on fire, and you get a very good flame um, that lasts for quite a long time. Once you start to smell burnt toast, though, it's probably time to blow that thing out. Um, the other piece that you want to use, and this is definitely something I picked up from uh, from Smuggler's Cove when I saw them do their top-notch volcano bowl, is you want to have some cinnamon on hand. Once you've actually lit the, the uh, crouton soaked in lemon extract on fire, you want to sort of flick some cinnamon on that and you'll get some cool sparks because as soon as cinnamon hits the fire, it sparks up. Uh, it makes a really cool effect. So there's a little bit of a video, not, not a professional grade video, but there's a little video of this in the show notes that I've linked to um, on the Five Minutes of Rome website so you can see an example of what this looks like. So again, it's kind of a cool element to use on the communal bowl. It gets a lot of oohs and a lot of ahs. Just be very careful because it is fire and it does burn. Um, other examples of communal or bowl drinks that, you know, they're similar to the Scorpion profile um, um, popped up at other restaurants because once this became a popular style of drink, then it became another template for rivals to Trader Vic's to copy. Um, this is a, a pattern that repeats itself over and over again, and we'll talk about uh, again in the next show. But 
Um, there aren't actually, interestingly, very many published Dawn Beach Bowl recipes, certainly not any that predate the ones from Vic in the 50s that I've seen. Uh, the one that Beach Bumberry published in his books, The Volcano Bowl, um, is a circa 1970s recipe from Dawn Beach. Um, other examples of this type of drink would be the Trader Vic's Cava Bowl. Again, not the traditional Cava Bowl, but what he called a Cava Bowl. Uh, Steve Crane's Tiki Bowl, the Trader Vic's Rum Keg, um, and Forbidden Island's Fugu Drink. You can also find bowl drinks, uh, you know, com- uh, not uh, communal, um, uh, contemporary bowl drinks at Smuggler's Cove, Trader Sam's at the Disneyland Hotel, and other contemporary tiki bars. This is not an uncommon thing to find on a menu. Now, uh, let's get let's talk specifically about the Trader Vic Scorpion Bowl and do the recipe for that. So, as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, this is a scaled down and slightly altered Scorpion Punch recipe from the uh, 1940s, or or at least the 1940s, because the Scorpion Punch recipe that I have was published in 1946. Uh, the recipe for the Scorpion Bowl from Trader Vic's, six ounces of orange juice, four ounces of lemon juice, one and one half ounce of orgeat, six ounces of light Puerto Rican rum. Here we're using the Caña Brava, one ounce of brandy, and two cups of crushed ice. Uh, combine all of that in a blender. You can use the spindle blender if you have one. Otherwise, the normal kitchen blender will work. Uh, blend that for about 10 seconds and pour into a Scorpion Bowl or other communal bowl. Add some larger ice cubes if needed to keep the drink chilled. Um, And again, in terms of presentation with a communal drink, presentation is part of the experience. Uh, Definitely use long straws for each guest. Uh, Regulation size straws are going to have people bumping heads when they go for a sip. Uh, The Trader Vic's version, again, is garnished normally with a fresh gardenia. Um, Arguably fire in the center center chamber would be more thematically correct with a volcano bowl. Uh, but it's a you know the crowd pleaser, so I'm using it here in the pictures I have in the show notes. Um, again, if you choose to add a fire chamber and ignite, be very care be very careful and keep your guests away while you light it on fire, and make sure you have that fire extinguisher nearby. I can't I can't really say it enough. Be careful. Uh, in terms of taste, this is sort of a sneaky drink. There's plenty of light rum present if you look at the recipe, but the citrus really hides it, so it's easy to overdo it on this drink. Uh, if you're uh, if you if you're sharing, make sure that you're taking your time. Um, and you're not plowing through it too quickly because it isn't a rum forward drink, uh, but it's one that people really enjoy because the flavors are nice and bright. So it, it goes down maybe a little bit too easy. The second recipe for this episode is called the Bitter Sting. Um, Beach Bunberry Remix published a single serving Trader Vic Scorpion recipe, um, and it had some other usual Scorpion variants that are com- that competing restaurants had on their menus. But I wanted to try and do an interpretation on that single serving version as well. And try and work with lemon and orange more. Uh, typically, I'm more drawn to the lime and grapefruit citrus combination. So at one point uh, when I was working on this a couple of years ago, I wanted to force myself to use the lemon-orange combination a little bit more. So I adopted the basic tenets of the recipe, light rum, brandy, orange juice, and lemon. Uh, mixed in some simple syrup, some dry orange curacao, and a couple of dashes of Fee's Aztec chocolate bitters. Uh, I figured that chocolate and orange are sometimes found together, and it might work. The garnish, in this case, sits not on the glass, but next to it in the form of a piece of dark chocolate. Um, And I served this cocktail at the 2013 Mojave Oasis Tent Crawl, and more recently added it to the menu at a birthday party I was bartending at. Uh, I was very happy to hear many people enjoying it. I think it was a little bit unexpected. Uh, I think people ordered the Mai Tai knowing they were going to get a good Mai Tai, but I think this one kind of came a little bit out of left field, um, and people enjoyed it, so I wanted to share it here in this episode as well. Um... The recipe for the bitter sting is 
uh, excuse me, one ounce of light Puerto Rican rum. Again, here using the Kanye Brava. One ounce of brandy. I used uh, Christian Brothers brandy. No need to be super fancy here. One ounce of fresh squeezed lemon juice. One ounce of orange juice and that fresh squeezed if practical. One half ounce of simple syrup. One half ounce of orange curacao. I used the Pierre Ferrand dry curacao. And two dashes of Fee Brothers Aztec chocolate bitters. Uh, shake all of that with ice cubes and a shaking tin and then pour unstrained into a double old-fashioned glass or a small tiki bowl and serve with a small piece of dark chocolate. Um, taking the two, the drink and the, and the dark chocolate together is a nice way to highlight the qualities of both the chocolate and the bitters and the orange notes in the cocktail because the way the cocktail um, will finish with the Aztec bitters in there is you'll get initially that citrus uh, taste first and then you'll pick up a little bit of the bitters on the tail end of the drink. It'll sort of change um, throughout the, the sip on it. So it works good to have a little bit of chocolate to taste uh, chase that with as well. That's it for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. Show links are up on the 5 Minutes of Rum website. That's number 5 minutesofrum.com. This show is also on iTunes as 5 Minutes of Rum. On iTunes, you can subscribe, you can rate the show, you can even leave a review. The show is also on Twitter as at 5 Minutes of Rum. That's the at symbol, number 5 Minutes of Rum. Please send any comments, corrections, feedback, or requests via the 5 Minutes of Rum website or on Twitter. And now, go get some rum. <laughs>